summary. Having trust in a covenant-keeping God. Nehemiah trusts God in every step of the way. And he's able to do this because he continues to humble himself. He continues staying connected to God, looking to God for wisdom, for insight, for courage, for each course of action. And Nehemiah waits on God for perfect timing, not rushing ahead, sticking to how God wants to direct him to prepare and to plan and to act. After Nehemiah received the blessing from the king to go to Jerusalem, we heard about that last week, Nehemiah sets out on the journey, and it takes him three months to arrive in Jerusalem. And we're going to pick up the text here in chapter 2, verse 11. It reads, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And we can only imagine went through what went through Nehemiah's mind as he entered into the city for the first time. He wasn't born in Jerusalem. He was born in captivity. And, and so he had never been to Jerusalem. He had only heard about this great city where his countrymen had lived and had been conquered, and now the city was lying in ruins. What was he doing those first three days? You're taking into account what we already know about Nehemiah, and if you want to catch up with that, these, the messages are, are on Facebook or on our, our website. But what we know about Nehemiah's character already, I think we can safely assume that he was waiting on God, praying for clear direction. And even though Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem as the new governor of the city, with the full authority of the Persian Empire covering his back, he did not arrive with pomp and circumstances. His arrival was noted, and we're going to learn about that in the next couple of weeks, but, but he didn't arrive with, with that arrogance, here I am, kind of proclamation to the people. He didn't use his human position to jumpstart anything. No, he waited three days, and then he acted but not in the way that one would expect from someone of such high position. Verse 12 starts out with, And I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. Have you ever had anything in your life that just kind of left you feeling expectant, excited? Maybe it's when um, you first got engaged. Or, or maybe it was when you and your spouse first learned that you were expecting. Or maybe it's when you bought that, that dream house. Or, or maybe a, a job opened up for you. And you just had this expectant, this excited feeling. You know, I remember when God had called me to ministry. And it was a few days outside of Pat that I shared it before I shared it with anybody else. I just wanted to, to hang on to that for just a little bit, to, to kind of think about the, the full extent of what God was calling me to do. And, and with that, in these events that happen in our lives that give us that excited feeling, that expectant feeling, sometimes we just need to keep those things to ourselves as we let it roll over in our minds and as we let it sink into our hearts. And, and we use this time to kind of sort those things out because we know situations like those are going to be life-changing. I remember a young pastor and his wife that, that were expecting, they've now had their baby, but they, they said, this is going to be life-changing. And I'm thinking, yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. And those kind of things, that they are, they're life-changing. And so we need that, to, those, those moments to just kind of 
process and, and revel in, in the wonder of it all and to do so in just a private way for just a brief time. And I kind of picture that this was the case with Nehemiah. He wanted to spend some private time just mulling over what God was putting in his mind to do for Jerusalem. And this was going to really be a life changer for individuals, for the city, and for generations to come. What a high calling to lead God's people in rebuilding the wall around this city. To lead a physical project that had spiritual implications. Nehemiah wanted to lessen the distractions as he processed so that he could hear more clearly from God. And so he went out at night. So as he pondered what God was putting in his mind to do, he was able to just kind of process to to really assess what the project was going to be like as he went out and visually looked at it. Continuing on with the passage, it reads, And there was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding. So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and on to the refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which were consumed by fire. Then I passed on to the mountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no place for my mount to pass. So I went up at night by the ravine and inspected the wall. Then I entered the valley gate again and returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I, uh, nor had I as yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. Nehemiah had made a thorough survey of the damage. It was a mess. There were places so bad that he couldn't make it through. The debris was strewn every which way. His mount could not pass. It was blocking all routes. And so as he navigated the wreckage, it's likely that he felt that demoralized state that those that were already living in Jerusalem were feeling. Just as he humbled himself before God in chapter 1, when he repented for the sins of his people, he now stood with them in their disgrace and discouragement. I remember when uh, a team from our church went down to a New Orleans to help with Katrina cleanup. And, and it was about six months after this catastrophic hurricane had hit. And the, of course, we know that the, the levees were breached and, and that brought in a lot of water in a big hurry, which just totally flooded the area. And so the loss of life was, was absolutely shattering. The destruction was great. And when we went down there, we, had, we were broke up into teams and, and we stayed at a mission school and, and they were the ones who were organizing where would we go, what would we do, kind of give us the, the rundown of things. And, and when they found out that Pat could run a chainsaw, he was put on the tree removal crew. Like right now, he runs a chainsaw. This is awesome. And so when they learned that he had a driver's license, that was another bonus because he got to run or drive now the truck. And, and it was not just a truck, it was a huge, um, large van truck that would carry all of their equipment. And so he got to do that. So imagine that, being a, a, a driver of a large van truck, headed somewhere you've never been, on roads that you don't know where they go, five lanes wide, one way, and your navigational system is a young man that tells you that that was the exit back there that we needed to take. 
no lie, that's what it was. It was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. What an adventure. A number of us, those that, that weren't so talented in, in running chainsaws and cutting up the huge cottonwood trees, um, were given the task to mud out houses. So what you did is you went in with rubber gloves, masks, the whole thing, and you, you toted your rubber-made tote in, and you, you filled it whatever, with whatever would fit in there. And then you carried it to the curb, dumped it out, went back in, repeated it again and again and again. It took a long time. Think about cleaning your own house out with a Rubbermaid tote, one tote at a time. That's what we did. And, and so in that, you were, all through that time, you were hoping and praying that you didn't find anything more than the rats that might have taken up residence. Because I'm like, oh, snakes and I, we just don't get along so well. And so you were doing all of that. And it was hard work. It was really hot down there during that time. It was in April. And, 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 and Mike, I'm sure, could attest to that. Um, but it was even harder, though, seeing the suffering of the people living in such destruction. This was six months afterwards. And, and more than likely, there's probably still cleanup to some degree happening. But you just felt the weight of the people. And Nehemiah surely felt the weight of his people as he assessed the destruction. But he knew that God had called him to lead the rebuilding of the wall. So as he surveyed, God was giving him the course of action before he shared a word with his countrymen. He had to assess what needed to be done. How many gates? The length of the the wall. How much material could be repurposed? How much material was going to have to be acquired He undoubtedly considered the process. How many people? How many hours? What kind of tools? And he counted the cost of it. He had to settle all of this in his mind first. God directed Nehemiah to count the cost. Jesus, of course, asked us to do the same, to count the cost. In the 14th chapter of Luke, Jesus challenged the crowds that were following him. He said, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus teaches that whatever or whoever desires to follow him and and be his disciple should first decide whether he or she is prepared to pay the cost, to be willing to give up everything and to follow him. And I say willing to give up because that's really what he's asking us. He's not asking or he's not telling us we definitely are going to have everything. That's it. No, he's saying, are you willing to give up everything to follow me? We need to count that cost. But of course, in following him, we know that there is great reward. And this is reinforced in Jesus' teaching about our lives when he says in Matthew 16, 25, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's when we decide to follow Jesus that there's no turning back. We're all in. We've counted the cost and we've said Yes. Nehemiah counted the cost. 
in the rebuilding of the wall, and in doing so, he received the eyes to see the God-given vision. And when he had this in his sights, it was then that he could go and encourage the people for the task. Continuing with verse 17. Then I said to them, You see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. The former Minnesota District of the Assemblies of God superintendent's wife used to organize and host a retreat for pastor's wives and credentialed women. And, and as she did so, there was a, a group of businessmen in the city that would donate money um, to this event. And, and it started out really small, but by the time that, that her husband had, had retired, and then she, of course, retired with him, um, they received uh, a fair amount of, of money to be able to go. And, and what her and her team of ladies would do is they would shop pretty much for six months straight with the funds that were given to them. And they would acquire door prizes for the pastor's wives and the credentialed women to then win at door prizes. But she didn't just have them laid out on a table. No, she used the the camp gym in in Alexandria. And she would get the uh, probably two-inch wide styrofoam, and it would be painted. And and then she would hang up everything. And she would even have the the men of the district, the the, the leadership of the district, because it was the women or the wives that were her team. And so it was the, the spouses that would come in and set up all these walls. They would even carry in a bathroom, like it's in the toilet, the sink, the whole works. And, and they'd have a bed set up and a little kitchen. And all of this stuff would be displayed very nicely throughout all of this. But you can well imagine it was a lot of work, a lot of work, because there was usually close to 200 women in attendance. So there would be a lot of things that she'd have to find little cute homes for to display everything. And so in all of this work, you can imagine then at the the night before the event would start that there would just be all this overwhelming stuff that still needed to be complete. And in that, she would always give her, her staff a little pep talk. Just one simple phrase. We can do this. We can do this. And it encouraged the group to continue to press on. And I picture Nehemiah similarly saying this to his countrymen. You see this mess, this task that seems impossible, but I say we can do this. Nehemiah could say this with confidence for a reason. He trusted in his covenant-keeping God. And to encourage the people, he shared why he was so confident. In verse 18, he wrote this. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Just like Nehemiah, maybe you have felt the hand of God being favorable in your life at times as well. Times when he came through in a miraculous way. Situations that seemed impossible became possible. I hesitated to include this in the message this morning This is what I'm going to say next because I want you to know that it's not done for any other purpose other than to encourage you as we move forward. This is not about me. This is about our covenant-keeping God. October of last year, I was chatting with a friend on the phone. She's a fellow believer, and, and, and she paused in our conversation, and then she proceeded to say this to me. 
She said, I don't know why, but I feel like God is telling me to tell you this. Now that, of course, is going to get your person's attention. She said, I feel like God's telling me to tell you you're going to have a really hard job. Well, you can imagine I was super excited about that. Isn't everybody want to have a really hard job? You know, do you, do you embrace that? Do you, do you re- eagerly receive that as prophecy? Or do you hope that the person really hasn't heard from God? She was really persistent, though, that I would receive this. Because she continued. She said, I want you to write that down. I want you to write it down. I want you to date it. I journal consistently. I've been doing that now for 14 years. And so I did. I, I wrote it down, dated it, of course, October 30th. 2017. 18 days later in November, my role in leadership increased. A couple of days later, I get a call from another person. He said, I'm not one to say the Lord told me to tell you very often, but I'm supposed to tell you that God is giving you greater duties because he trusts you. I share this to encourage you. God's got this church. His word says that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. He's the same covenant-keeping God today as he was back when Nehemiah was rebuilding the wall. The same God that Nehemiah trusted in is the same God that we can trust in today. He's working and moving in ways that we cannot see. But he's also working and moving in ways that we can see like in our children's ministry, go-betweens heading off to the farm, legacy as we host a new event to minister to our area seniors, college care continuing that tradition to encourage our college students, our community meals where we had over 50 neighbors that came and enjoyed a meal together on one Wednesday, our facility, many updates that have happened, others that are in the process. Financial recovery. We're in a better place now than we were. But I will add, we still need God to provide in even greater ways. Our board tackling the administrative things of the church, and we're going to share more on that as we're able. Our prayer team faithfully lifting up this church in the powerful name of Jesus. God is moving. I can't begin to tell you how grateful I am in how God has shown himself to be so faithful as, as we've started to rebuild the ministry of this church. God's got this church. Nehemiah challenged the people with the rebuilding project, shared of how the hand of God was on him. The people responded, continuing in verse 18. Then they said, Let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. Responding to the call to rebuild, the people were all in. What about you? Are you all in? You know, maybe you're here today and you've never really thought about yourself as a a partner in God's work. You've never really counted the cost or maybe you've not even become a, a disciple of Christ yet. Maybe you've never even heard that before. But as you listen today, you realize that God's tugging on your heart. 
And you want to be a part of his church. You want to be a part of the family of God. The first step, of course, is receiving Christ as your Savior. Admitted that, admitting that you've fallen short of his glory, that you've sinned. And scripture says that we've all sinned. But with a sincere heart, you can repent. You can turn from your self-driven ways and turn to God and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I tried to do it my way. Please forgive me. I now want to do it your way. I want to be a part of the family of God. You can do that by receiving the forgiveness that that Christ um, made available when he died on the cross. That's how we receive eternal life. And I just want to say, if that's you this morning, will you please take a moment to to meet with me or, or... or as you can come up for prayer after service and, and meet with the prayer team. We want to partner with you as you take those next steps, help you with that. Now, of course, I know that, that others of you in this room have, have already made that decision. You already know God's saving grace through Christ. But I wonder if you've continued to count the cost as, as you've moved along in your relationship of being all in and, and helping Christ with whatever it is he calls you to. And maybe it is rebuilding the church here, the ministry in Hill City. We know it's going to be built on his foundational truth, the word of God. Christ, the chief cornerstone. That's what it's going to be built on. We're the workers following his lead in this. And I believe it's not by mistake that I'm here, but I don't believe it's by mistake that you're here either. God knew who it was that was going to need to be in place in this church at this time. People that would have the heart to say, we can do this. With God, all things are possible. I want to cooperate with God as as he takes this church to the next level. And I'm believing that he's going to be glorified as he equips us to do the work of the ministry to impact our community for Christ. And that as he works in and through us, he's going to have us doing even greater works. More people serving. More people seeking. More people receiving Christ as their Savior and then eternal life through him. More people growing in the knowledge of the word of God. More people being healed. More people experiencing the love of Jesus. More people being set free more people being ministered to and discipled, more of his kingdom work being accomplished for his purposes and his glory. Nehemiah encouraged the people to be all in. He didn't believe in a one-man ministry. Neither do I. Nehemiah couldn't rebuild the wall by himself. I can't bring this church to where God wants it to go without you. Our district's theme this year is together. And I do believe that we are better, stronger when we serve together. God's glory will be revealed in a greater way as we do this together. Will you stand with me this morning? We're going to do things just a little different this morning. And as I prayed about this message this week, I I really believe that we are on the threshold of a new day in our church. And I believe God's hand is on this church without a doubt. I believe that. And and the question to you this morning is, are you open to trusting in this covenant-keeping God to lead us through this? 
Are you all in? You know, if you're believing and trusting God for whatever he wants in Hill City, Hill City Assembly of God specifically, I just encourage you this morning to take a step of faith, to just come forward. I'm not going to ask you to do anything funny or anything like that. I just want us to all come together as an act of commitment to God in growing up this ministry, that we're going to partner with him to do that. You might not know exactly what it all looks like, quite frankly. I don't know exactly all what it's going to look like either. But it really is just a step of in obedience to do this. And so if that's you this morning, I just encourage you to just come forward. We're just going to gather around. We're going to pray together. Pat's going to put on some music in just a second here. But just to come in unity and faith together, demonstrating that you want to be a part of this rebuilding process, acknowledging that you've counted the cost, that you're saying, I want to be all in. I want to be a part of what God wants to do in this church moving forward. So if you would, just come forward. If you're all in, you want to be a part of what God is doing. 